Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Song of Solomon. Um, Let's do a brief little review, if we could, for just a minute. If you remember, this is one of a thousand stories that Solomon wrote. And this is a love story. It's about a relationship that he had with most likely the Queen of Sheba, his very first relationship that he had. And that's uh, something that I believe. And the way that he writes this is that he writes it as her journal entry. He writes this story as if she was writing the story and she was communicating. And it begins with this couple that is totally infatuated and in love. They're like kissing all over the place. And we're like, we start this going, wait a second. I thought this was going to teach us how to have a good relationship. But if you remember... When he writes this, they're already in a relationship. So what he does is he starts us out with the fact that they're in this loving relationship and then takes us in chapter 1 to their courting relationship. And they almost get involved with a little hanky-panky there two times in the midst of their courting relationship. So they decide to be responsible with their relationship. They go ahead and get married. Now they're married. And that's where we pick up there in Song of Solomon chapter 5. Now before we get there, there are three objectives in marriage. Three objectives in marriage that we're going to go through. I pray that we'll get through tonight. Three objectives in in marriage. And there are two initiatives that will get you there. Three objectives. Think of it as the three-two, okay? Three objectives in marriage. And there are two initiatives. Now, an initiative is something that you initiate, okay? It's actually something that you put into place. There are two initiatives that will get you there. Now, here are the two initiatives before I give you the three objectives, okay? It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. You don't need to turn there. You stay in Song of Solomon. The Bible says that husbands should love their wives and that wives should respect their husbands. (laughs) Why did only the men say amen? (laughs) Because they're men. Thank you, Jocelyn. All right, listen. Husbands, love your wives. Let the women say Perfect, Chloe. And wives, respect your husbands. Let the men say, these are the two initiatives to help us reach the objectives. Now, let me explain what initiative is. Ladies, you've got to initiate respect in your marital relationship. And gentlemen, you've got to initiate love like Christ in your relationship. Now, I know we're going to talk about human beings and spousal relationships, but what we're really talking about today is how to handle conflict. Jesus made it very clear, conflict's going to come. Just don't you be the one that starts it. That's what he said. Conflict is going to be part of life. And if you don't know how to conflict well, if you don't know how to have confrontation well, then you're not going to have a good relationship. And so the way that you've got to walk into conflict is with these two initiatives. Husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husband. But love and respect go into the human side of relationships if we want to handle conflict well. If we love people and we respect them, it will help us walk through conflict. So even though we're talking about a couple, wherever you've got two human beings, you have a problem. Amen? 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 Wherever you've got two human beings. Now, these two initiatives keep the peace. If you truly would love your wife like Christ loved the church all the time, and wives, if you would truly respect your husband all the time, you would never have a marital issue. Unfortunately, you're a human being. And because you're a human being, guess what, gentlemen? 
Sometimes you will not love your wife like Christ loved the church. Ladies, go ahead and do this now, okay? And listen, listen, ladies. Sometimes you will not respect your husbands. I need to remind every wife in here that if you roll your eyes, that is silent disrespect, okay? Andrea and I's first argument, our first marital argument, she looked at me and she went like this. And she goes, I said, you're totally disrespecting me right now. She goes, no, I'm not. (laughs) And I go, you are rolling your eyes at me. And she goes, no, I'm not. She literally goes, no, I'm not, while she's rolling her eyes. And I wish I had an, we didn't have iPhones there. We had the pop-up phones, you know, that took forever to send a text. Like, no one ever wanted to send a text with those. But I wish I would have had a phone with a camera. So right when she goes, no, I'm not, I could just take a picture. You're in the middle of it right now. The problem is, with the direction of love and respect, we deal with our flesh. And so because we do deal with our flesh... And because wherever there's two people, there's going to be a problem. It's important that we engage in this text so that we know how to have good conflict. Now, remember I told you there were three objectives, two initiatives. The two initiatives, love and respect. The first objective of marriage is to become one. That's an objective of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says we are to become and becoming one. So let's dig into Song of Solomon chapter 5. We'll pick it up there in verse 2. Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep, but my heart is awake. She's developed a whole new name for him. My heart I don't know if you're a love or a baby or a sweetie or a pumpkin or a tomato. I don't know what you guys call each other, but she has developed a new name for him. <gasps> my heart. My, my wife. We, we okay. Uh, <clears throat> Andre and I have been functional like our whole marital life. Like we have nine children. So she calls me Papa. And I call her mama. That was just our, I call her mama love. That was just our, well, after all of our children started leaving, she developed a new name for me, Mia Moore. I I didn't even know what it meant. So I'm like, why are you calling me Mia Moore? Like, I thought it was one word, Mia Moore. And I'm like, it sounds like a chocolate bar, Mia Moore. You know, it's like, what does this mean? Until I went to El Salvador and I heard someone call their spouse Mia Moore. So I told her, maybe say it differently. I mean, your family is from Spain. Maybe sound Spanish when you say it, okay? Mi amor. Well, she's developed this whole new name, My Heart. And she recognizes his voice at the door. Take a look. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It's the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love. My do- I've got to read it like this, so just stay with me. Okay? My dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of night. My wife's heart right now is going... <laughs> Let me read it again. Open for me. This is just for Andre at this point, okay? So stay with me. Jocelyn, where is she at? Not only has she found new names for her, him, but he has found new names for her. Open for me, my sister. I know you belong to God first. Open for me, my love. You're Mia Moore. You're my lifelong companion. You are God's gift to me. Open up for me, my Dove. Now, I don't know in today's world if we want to call our spouse a bird, okay? But this was a sign of you are peaceful. You are so gentle. You are so wonderful. My, listen to what he calls her, my perfect one. Even if he doesn't believe it, he's saying it, okay? You are my perfect one. And what he's saying is you complete me. You're my other half. Now, he's been out there so long 
that his hair is actually wet. Now, let me explain. When I was in Iran, there is a king's palace and there is a queen's palace. And the king's palace had his bedroom and the queen's palace, or Esther, I actually saw Esther's palace, Esther had her room. And what would happen is that the king, in the night, when no one's looking, would walk over to the queen's palace and knock on the door. Open for me, my love, my dove, my perfect one. He doesn't barge through the door and go, I'm here. (laughs) You ready? No, no, no. That's not what's happening. He is loving his wife. And he, (laughs) stop laughing, Arlen. He is loving his wife and he he is romancing her. I mean, what a romantic moment that he is trying to establish. He is setting the mood, calling her the perfect one, I'm sure. And he's been out there long enough. Just imagine the moment. Knock, knock, knock. Open, my love. Knock, knock, knock. She is sound asleep, so he's not going, hello, hello. He is setting the scene for the mood. A candle has been lit. There's incense going on in the room. Something is happening where he is trying to create this romantic moment. Now, you're a wife, okay? And you come home. And there is the candle lit. The dinner is made. And your husband says to you, come on in, my love, my dove, my perfect. Now, some of, you, some of your wives are laughing like, that will never happen. <laughs> okay, I'm teaching your husbands right now what to do, okay? So just go with me for a moment. Just imagine this scene. How would you respond to this scene? He's out there so long that his hair is wet trying to romance her. What woman wouldn't respond with, (gasps) Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 3. I'm going to read it the way that the Hebrew puts it. I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I washed my feet. How can I defile them? Excuse me? (laughs) Open for me. I've taken a bath. Leave me alone. The last thing I want to do is fool around with you. Get out of here. That's exactly how she responds. She responds with ingratitude. Here this guy is out there with candle lit. He's all wet from the rain. And he's just knocking on the door. And she goes, I've taken a bath. What do you want me to get out of bed? Get my feet dirty for you? <laughs> Our couple has not even been married for a chapter and they already have a problem. It's not from one verse to the next and they are already in a marital conflict. And let me tell you why. Our wife has made a decision. It's all about me. It's all about me. The Bible says in James chapter four, verse one, where do wars and fights come from? Is it not because of your own selfish desires? You see, she decided to get married, but she's not decided to die to herself yet. You see, in order to become one, you've got to realize the second objective of marriage is to die to self. The first is to become one, but the second is to deny self. You can't walk into marriage. It's all about me. It's all about my life. You're going to do whatever I want you to do. No, no, no. That's not the way that you can walk into any kind of relationship. Marriage is about dying to self. It's about being selfless, not being selfish. But the other thing we need to remember is that intimacy is not a one-way street. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when we studied it, the only time that a couple can deny sexual intimacy is if they both agree. Otherwise, it might be sacrifice for the one to give to the other. 
But the only time the Bible says that we should, we should uh, 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 sustain ourselves from sexual intimacy is if both the husband and the wife is to agree. That's why it's important to remember the second objective of marriage is to die to self. She is struggling with the same problem that she did before marriage. It's about me. That's why it's so important in a premarital relationship that you catch the little foxes, that you don't look at him and not say what you really feel. You've got to communicate in the premarital relationship because let me tell you something, it's not going to change in the marriage relationship. If you notice something that needs to be addressed, purpose to address it before you get married so that at least you've got a basis. It doesn't mean that it won't happen again, but you've got a basis to build off of when you get married. Now, what I love about our guy is look at Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 4. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. My goodness, he continues to pursue her. Even after she said, I've had taken a bath, he just goes, I'm still here. I'm still here. So she gets up, and look at verse 6, if you would. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. Uh-oh. She ran him off. Very good, thank you. Why don't you help me teach this whole process? I love this. You see, he leaves. Our couple are in a fight. Excuse me, strong fellowship. They are in the midst of strong fellowship, and let me tell you why. He came with an expectation, and he's disappointed. Disappointment causes conflict. She chose to be selfish instead of selfless, and selfishness causes conflict conflict. You're not going to avoid disappointment and selfishness. That's why it's important for us to learn how to have conflict. Now, I need to mention something. I need to mention something. Remember who's writing, the, who's writing this? Solomon. Now, have you ever had a dream where you're the hero? How many, I, I, all of my dreams, I'm the hero. Like, I always defeat everybody. I'm like the big guy, right? Whenever you have a dream or whenever you're writing a story, you're never going to make yourself look bad. So he makes his wife look bad. She's the problem. But let me tell you something. Even though Solomon's writing the story and making himself the hero, conflict is not one-sided. It always comes from both sides. Because whenever you put two people together, there is bound to be some form of confusion and misunderstanding. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Now let me use Andre and I. I'm from the Bahamas. She's from Detroit. Okay? Totally different cultures. In the Bahamas, let me tell you something. My dad, when he came home, if he was late for dinner, there was a plate. It was wrapped in tinfoil. And when my dad sat down, my mom would go and get that plate. She would put the TV tray there. She would put it in front of him. He would give a little peck on the cheek. And there was his fork. And there was his knife. And there was his cup. And then when he was done, she would pick it up. And she would. I watched that my whole life. When I would come home, a little different. Amen? <laughs> I'm looking for permission for this one. It was a little different, okay? It, I'm not going to tell you how different it was. It very different, okay? It was just a little different. Now, God bless Andrea. She's raising nine children. The last thing she's going to have time to do is to put a little plate out and put a little thing and put a little... And we don't even use TV trays anymore. So it was a totally different experience. Let me tell you something about me growing up. My mother is OCD when it comes to clean. White glove, British kind of woman. My drawer, if I messed it up, she would fix it. The shirts always were in a square. The socks were always folded. My underwear was folded. And even if I ripped a shirt out inappropriately, she couldn't take it. She would go in the room and she would fold it and everything. So every time I opened my drawer, it was perfect. 
things were different when I got marriage. <laughs> they were just different. It's two totally different cultures. Andrew would tell you the same thing. Okay. One of the things her dad did was all the shop, the grocery shopping. So one day I'm like, Andrea, like what's for dinner? She's like, Oh, I don't know. There's nothing in the fridge. My mother did all of the shopping and all of the cooking. I mean, look, what do you mean there's nothing for the fridge? She said, well, you haven't gone shopping. Excuse me? <laughs> Conflict. Okay. What are you talking about? I haven't gone shopping. Well, that's your job. That's what you do. Excuse me? <laughs> um, what have you done today? Oh, I was with your mother. I went shopping. We had a great time. But w- w- there's no food. I know. Go out to the public. So go to the grocery store and get food. Conflict. We came from two different cultures, and we had to put the objective of marriage into place. You've got to become one, and you've got to die to self. Now, take a look as we continue on. We'll pick it up. Once again, in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, I rose to open, 5, I mean, I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. He's put cologne on the door handle. This is how romantic. He's sending in like fragrance. My fingers dripped with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. Verse 6, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. I called him. But he gave me no answer. Excuse me? When he said, open for me, my dove, my spouse, you said out loud, I've already taken a bath. What do you want me to do? Get out of bed? Surprise, surprise. She changes her mind. Now she gets up. Now she smells the myrrh and the frankincense. Now, all of a sudden, she's attracted to him. She has changed her mind. And what surprises me, she's surprised that he's left. She's blown away. Like, where'd he go? Excuse me? You yelled at him and said, you're not going to get out of bed because you're not going to take a bath. Ladies, I need to let you know something. Men cannot read your minds. We can't. We're dumb. We don't know what you're thinking. We could possibly never understand, and let me put this as plainly as I can, what a period feels like. So don't explain it to us. There is no way that we understand PMS. Andrea tried to explain PMS to me, and I was like, well, I've been constipated once. (laughs) We can't understand or comprehend it. It's just not in our capacity. One Christmas, Andrea and I decided no gifts. Great. I showed up to Christmas with no gift. She starts to cry. I'm like, what are you crying for? You didn't get me anything, but I got you so Shame on me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jocelyn. Andrea, you said don't buy a gift. So I didn't. So you know what I did the next year? Like every wonderful husband, I bought her the best gift ever, a vacuum. I really did. I really did. I thought she would love it. She cried again. I was like, I can't win. Ladies, ladies, let me tell you something. We cannot read your mind. Okay, one time, Andrea was giving birth to Micaiah, okay? She asked me, rub my feet. Great, rubbing your feet. All of a sudden, she looks at me and she goes, why are you touching me? Because you died. Did you? <laughs> My mom was in the room. She looks at me and she goes, I don't know why you're touching her. She, she asked me to. Like, I, what? I, I don't know what a contraction feels like. And in all of my compassion, I looked at Andrea while she's in the middle of compassion. I'm trying to encourage her. She's singing. She's like, the joy of the Lord. So she's doing this whole thing in the room, giving birth, okay? 
So I looked at her thinking this would bless her, and I said, does this even hurt? (laughs) What I was saying to her was, you're doing a great job. What she heard was, you don't care about me. (laughs) Listen, let me tell you something. This lady said, I want to take a bath. That's what came out of her mouth. But then all of a sudden, she changes her mind. Couples have got to learn to communicate what's really going on because assumptions are deadly. And now, because they didn't communicate, they're in a fight. Excuse me, strong fellowship. Now take a look, if you would, at verse 6. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone away. My heart leaped up when he spoke. He was speaking words of life to her. He was speaking words of love to her. And husbands, let me explain something. One of the most important things, the most important word of life that you can speak into your wife is to wash her with the water of the word. That's the most important thing you can do as a husband. In fact, it's the only perfect thing you can do is read the word of God together. Now let me tell you what washing with the word of God does. It's preventative. It's preventative. Because I guarantee if you choose to have devotions together or you're just choosing to do one devotion in the middle of something that you're walking through, I guarantee it'll be in your devotion that morning. I guarantee it. Having the word of God as your focal piece, it's preventative, but it's also corrective. It allows God to do the work that you want to, but you know you shouldn't. When you're in the word of God, the word of God will be the teacher. Now take a look what happens. I sought him. I sought him. You see, primarily they had made some, if you remember, they had made some rules of conflict. And one of their rules of conflict was they weren't going to let the sun go down on the anger. They had agreed to solve their problems quickly. They were not going to let their problems linger on. Because one of the greatest problems in marriage is the lack of resolution leads to bitterness. The more sons that you let go down on your anger, the greater your resentment and bitterness is going to grow. You've got to come together and communicate. Even if the communication causes conflict, it allows you to enter into a space that you need to enter into so that you prevent from entering into the space of bitterness. And bitterness defiles. And Bible says it defiles many. Not only will it defile your spouse, it'll defile your children. It'll defile your friends if you allow bitterness to fester into your heart. Now, the Bible says, I sought him, but I couldn't find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Hello. You just told him that you didn't want him at the door. So he left. What blows my mind is she's confused. That's what blows my mind. Gentlemen, I need to let you know something. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says something about Mary that I believe is true of every woman. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Women ponder. They think about things long after a man has moved on. And gentlemen, we've got to understand that though we may have moved on, your wife may still need to communicate. But timing is important. And when your spouse hurts you, be careful not to react, but to respond. A reaction is you get hit and something comes out of your mouth. A response is you get hit and... And you walk away... And you don't want your children to see it, and you put it out. You see, a response, you give a little space for time. You allow God to do his work. 
You allow the biology of anger about 20 minutes. It's 18 to 20 minutes. You allow all those hormones to work through your body before you say a word. This guy is upset. So instead of engaging and saying, I can't believe you just hurt my feelings like that, he decides to give some time. He decides to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Song of Solomon chapter 5, take a look at verse 7. Song of Solomon 5, the watchman, she goes out and she decides to go to two different groups of people. The first one, the watchman who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the wall took my veil away from me. The first group she goes to are the watchmen. Now, if you remember, back in Song of Solomon chapter 3, she ran into this same group. She ran into the watchmen. And back in Song of Solomon chapter 3, they actually helped her. But now they're hurting her. You see, these watchmen, they're playing the role of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is working on this woman's heart. When she was in the right, the Spirit was encouraging her. But now she's in the wrong and the Spirit is disciplined, is convicting her. He, the Spirit is trying to get her attention. The husband has been faithful to allow some time to pass. And now she's facing the conviction of the Spirit. But she makes a mistake. She goes to another group. The Bible says in verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved that you tell him, I'm lovesick. I know what I've done. I've heard him. I've got some conviction going on. She decides to go to her friends. Big mistake. She decides to go to her friends. She decides to press on in the conviction, and now she's telling her friends, let me tell you what my husband did. Instead of following through with the conviction, she calls Sally, Jesse, Raphael. She calls Oprah. She calls, I mean, she's calling every Dr. Phil. She wants everyone to know her marital problem. She goes to the gossip ring instead of going to God. Now take a look at what her friend said. What is your beloved, this is the world's advice, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? You're the prettiest thing in God's creation. What do you care about this man for? You need to be a self-made woman. What is your beloved more than any other beloved that you so charge us? He's just like every other man. All they want is one thing, whether they're married or not. He's just like every other guy. Who is this guy that you're coming to complain about? Hey, ladies, do you know that you speak about 50 to 70,000 words a day? That's a lot. Do you know that guys speak about 15,000 and by the time they get home, they're out of their words. That's why they grunt. How's your day? Uh. They, they got nothing left. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it is, okay? They have spent their 15,000 words and when they get home, now gentlemen, I'm not saying that's the way to behave. I'm just saying you need to add to your word list maybe another 10,000 words just to have a conversation. But ladies can talk. And if their husbands is not talking to them, they're going to go to their friends. Unfortunately, she goes to the wrong friends. And she gets worldly advice. James, <laughs> I love you. <coughs> Be careful, ladies, who you fill up your words with. Ladies, do you hear me? Yes. Be careful who you talk about your husband to. The Bible in Proverbs 31 says that when the husband came to the gates, he was respected because of his wife. We've got to be careful, ladies, who we speak to and what we say. And here's my encouragement. Choose to have one couple, someone that's older than you, one couple, someone in the church who is faithful, tried, and true that you can call and that you can go to for the sake of accountability in the place of conflict. And definitely don't let it be your parents. Let me tell you why. They will always take your side. 
And next time he comes for Thanksgiving, there will be no honey-baked ham if it's his favorite. Oh, this year we didn't get it, you scoundrel. I know what you did last week. Don't go to your parents. Go to a spiritual parent, someone that's outside of the family so that you can have accountability. Now, parents, this is difficult. I've got nine kids, and they all have spiritual mentors outside of Andre and I. It's just healthy for the parents to be the parents and for them to go to someone else. That's why when they come over, we're not looking at him, the son-in-law, going, you dirty scoundrel. I can't believe you yelled at my daughter. Do you know how perfect she is? Okay, you're lucky you got her, all right? No, no, no. When my son-in-law comes over, my daughter has made him a hero to us. And he really is. He's, I don't even call him son-in-law. I call him son-in-love. I am so in love with this guy. I mean, I just love him to death. His name is Ben. You would love him too. He's a cop uh, in um, National City, of all places. He's in National City, and he loves Jesus with all of his heart. I just love him so much. Sorry, that was a Ben plug. Let me go on. (laughs) So they begin to question her. Who do you think this guy is? She's convicted. Uh Uh-oh, I've gone to the wrong people. Look what she says in verse 10. Gentlemen, pay attention. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. Wow, something's happening with her. She's saying, I know he thinks very soberly. His locks are wavy and black as raven. He uses just for men. (laughs) I'm kidding. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. In other words, she's saying he's very gentle and he's very friendly. Verse 13, his cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. In other words, he's got rosy cheeks. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. Wow. What she's saying is, he is the fragrance of Christ. He's really godly. He's a spiritual leader. That's what she's saying. Verse 14. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. Gentlemen, when you get married, don't gain 300 pounds. This guy's in shape. Okay? This guy's in shape. And she's thinking about his body going, he's hot. But let me tell you what's going on here. She's saying he's tender. He's compassionate. And when I run to him, I know I'm going to feel his chest because he's going to embrace me. He's going to accept me. I have found security in his embrace. Take a look at verse 15. His legs are are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. She's saying, my man is strong and my man is steadfast. She's not worried about her man flying off the handle. She's not worship about, worried about his emotional volatility. Verse 16, his mouth is most sweet. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. She knows he's going to be kind to her because they've built a friendship. I tell my children, don't go into a relationship. Be a friend. Friends last forever. Don't start with boyfriend, girlfriend. Take time to be a friend And then let friendship develop into relationship. Because friendships become the best relationships. Take time to build the friendship. Now listen, if you're all caught up in the relationship, back up, even if you're married. And work on the friendship. It was 10 years of Andrea and I into marriage. And I looked at Andrea on a date night and I said to her, I'm not having fun anymore. Now, we're 30 years married. 
And I looked at her 10 years in and I said, it's just not fun anymore. Like, we're just functional. It's like bread, bread, bread. Peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter. Jelly, jelly, jelly. Bread, bread, bread. Here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. I feel like that's our marriage. We're just functioning. We're not nurturing our marriage. And since that day, 10 years ago, my wife has made a decision that she was going to be my friend, not just be my wife, that she was going to make things fun and that she was going to add some spice and that she wasn't going to, uh, 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 she was going to, she, when I come home, it's not like, oh, oh, there's Andrea. Like she is just ready to go. It's like something exciting to come home to. And I've experienced that for the last 20 years because we had an open and honest communication that our marriage was not a great friendship. It was a good relationship and we needed to work on our friendship. It's important in the context of marriage. Now listen, she realizes in the course of letting everyone know how much she respects him because he has loved her well. Gentlemen, did you hear how he loved her? He's strong and steadfast. He's not emotionally volatile. He's tender. He's compassionate. He's gentle. He's friendly. He has loved her as Christ loved the church. And as she is reporting his testimony... She's realized I've disrespected him. Gentlemen, if you want to have a respectful wife, be a loving husband. The very fruit of being a loving husband is a respectful wife. But if you are a selfish, unloving husband, don't be surprised when you have a disrespectful wife. You see... Remember, the initiatives are loving husband and a respectful wife. Now, take a look what happens in Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 1. Where's your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where is your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? Oh, look who's changed. They ask a question. Who does your man think he is? She goes, let me tell you who he is. They then say, We'll help you. That's a great guy. We're going to help you find him. She's turning into a Proverbs 31 woman. And now everyone at the city gates respects her husband because of his testimony of loving his wife. You see, one of the most beautiful things about conflict is that conflict can actually change us for the better. It's the conversation that Andre and I had 20 years ago that was open and honest and a conflict that emerged that actually changed our marital relationship. And can I tell you something, ladies? I'm, excuse me, gentlemen, can I speak to you first? Rarely will anyone marry a Proverbs 31 woman. Very rarely. But every woman can become a Proverbs 31 woman with a loving husband. Now, ladies, listen carefully. Rarely will anyone marry the Song of Solomon chapter, uh, chapter 6 man. Very rarely will, excuse me, chapter 5 man. Very rarely will someone marry a Song of Solomon chapter 5 kind of man. But he can become one with a respectful wife. They go hand in hand. Now, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, take a look where we finish up here in verse 2. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the bed of his spices. She answers to feed his flock in the garden and gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flocks among those lilies. Did you see what happened, ladies? She's moved from emotional to rational because she got spiritual. Being respectful is spiritual. She went from emotional to rational because she got spiritual. Go back with me to Song of Solomon chapter 5. I want to show you what the problem was. Song of Solomon chapter 5, would you look at verse 2? Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep but my heart or my spouse is awake. She was sleeping spiritually, but her husband was awake spiritually. He was loving her, 
but she was disrespecting him. The problem was she decided not to be spiritual in her home, just to be spiritual in front of everybody else. That's called a hypocrite. That's called a hypocrite. If you're spiritual at church, but you sleep spiritually at the house, that's no different than pharisaical hypocrisy. We've got to choose to be who we are in front of everyone and at home. So if you're going to be mean at home, be mean when you come to church. At least you won't be a hypocrite. If you're yelling at your wife and grunting, grunt at me. When you see me, hey, how you doing? God bless you. At least you're not a hypocrite. I mean, listen, I would rather you not be a hypocrite or choose to change your way. The issue was she was sleeping spiritual. You see, personal spiritual slumbers lead to great relational issues. Our relationship with Jesus, if we're sleeping on our relationship with Jesus, it's going to affect our relationship with our spouse. It's just true. Now, thinking spiritually, she gains the right perspective. She actually know where, know, knows where we're at because they made rules of conflict. If we get into an argument, I'm just going to walk away and I'm going to go to where the sheep are. That must have been a big deal. I'm just going to go to where the sheep are. And she's reminded. She goes, my beloved has gone to his garden to the bed of spices. She's reminded of their first love. She's not living in the problem. She's being reminded of the first love. And she knows he's going to be responsible. And when she shows up the field, do you see what he's doing? He's picking flowers. Gentlemen, bringing flowers home is spiritual. And when she comes running to him, he lifts up and turns with the flowers. He's gathering lilies. He's picking flowers. He's showing how much he loves her. And let me express why flowers are so important. After God created Adam, he made a garden. God's first act of love to Adam, Adam got to watch this, was that God made a garden. These flowers represent an act of love. Now, maybe your wife is, uh, or your relationship is, they don't do flowers, okay? Okay, maybe you're, you're not a flower person, okay? Maybe you're a card person. I'm not sure whatever your act of love is, but this guy has made the decision, I'm going to give her an expression of my love. She's confident in the relationship. He has developed with his love so much security. She's not wondering at all, I guess our marriage is over. I wonder if he's going to receive me. He's so volatile all the time. I mean, I'm never sure where he's at emotionally because they've made a decision. The D word is never to enter our marriage. No one is ever allowed to throw it out. No one is ever allowed to say, well, then maybe we should get a divorce. That is the no-go word. It's never allowed in our marital conflict. She's not worried whether or not this conflict is going to lead to division. She knows that this conflict is going to bring them together. Now, it's important for me that she knows where he's at. Because he's not hiding from her. He's just taking some time to get calm and cool, and collected, and he's letting time pass so that she can get calm and cool and collected. So I want to end tonight here. We'll pick it up here later. But I want to end tonight with three rules of conflict. Three rules of conflict. Our couple just taught us this. I call them triple A. Triple A. Because you know how when you're in trouble, you call AAA, right? You're on the side of the road. Okay, you've got your own personal life conflict. You call AAA. This is the AAA for any relationship. Number one, agree quickly. You may need to let some time pass, but purpose to agree quickly. It's spiritual. Second letter A, accept unbelief. 
conditionally. Love is unconditional. It's not tit for tat. It's not if I do, you will. No, no, no. It doesn't expect anything in return. This guy, she has hurt him. And he's the one gathering flowers to give to her. Accept each other unconditionally. Third letter A. Acknowledge diversity. Acknowledge diversity. He thinks different than you, trust me. She thinks different than you. And acknowledge the fact that you think different so that you don't come to the table thinking you should understand where I'm at. No, communicate where you're at. Don't expect any either of the other to read each other's mind. You see, they found each other because they have chosen to come together. Remember, one of the objectives of marriage is becoming one. They lived up to that objective by loving and respecting. The other objective was to die to self. They did that by loving and respecting. It took her a little bit longer to get there, but she's there. The third we'll get to next week. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this real quickly. You're going to have conflict. It don't matter if it's with your boss at work or your co-worker. It's important to know how to conflict well instead of live in the dream world that you'll never have one. If I do premaritals and they tell me they never fight, I tell them we won't begin their premarital until their first fight. Because that's not a real relationship. Conflict is a part of real relationship. And so we've got to embrace that and develop our rules for conflict. I've given you the AAA, the emergency number to call. And I pray that you put those things into practice. Amen? Amen. All right, Father, we want to thank you for tonight. I love Song of Solomon night. And I just love, I love being with our people. And I just pray in Jesus' name that as we purpose to do conflict well, you'll help us to communicate and solve our differences instead of live in division. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.